hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. Does it seem like most retirement calculators are vague and leave you with more questions than when you actually started? Right. Then you're going to love this Queer Money episode 442 because today we're sharing what we think is the best retirement calculator ever. We're joined today by our longtime friend, Lauren Boland, who is a tech genius. Lauren has worked with Deloitte, Lockheed Martin, and one of our favorite partners of all time, The Motley Fool. Lauren has been working on this calculator for years and it is good. And this is a special episode that you'll likely want to watch on YouTube so that you can see Lauren work her calculator magic and how you can use it yourself. The YouTube link for this is in your podcast player. Now let's get on with the show. You're listening to the Queer Money Podcast, personal finance with a rainbow twist. Queer Money is dedicated to financial independence, financial well-being, investing knowledge, and the intersection of all things money as an LGBTQ person. Queer Money is made possible by Capital One. Capital One believes that financial well-being includes your mental, physical, and financial health. Check out CapitalOne.com today. So this has been a long time coming. We have wanted to have this guest on the show, I think, for at least two years, and we almost had it happen like year, year and a half ago, and then realized that we couldn't do it. So after a long courting relationship, we finally have Lauren Bolin on the Queer Money Podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the show. (laughs) Thanks for having me. We're excited to have this conversation. So a couple, about a year, year and a half ago, David and I did an episode where we talked about our retirement number, because we think that one of the things the community does not talk enough about is how much money we need for retirement. We said this over and over again on the show. One of the most reoccurring emails that we get are from people who say, I'm 55, I'm 65, I want to retire yesterday, and I have nothing saved. What can I do? And so we try to revisit this topic in all different ways, shapes, and forms to help hopefully keep it top of mind for folks to start planning for retirement and thinking about what they need. One of the things about most retirement calculators, though, is that they still seem to be kind of vague. And they oftentimes leave you with a lot of questions. So that's why we're excited to talk about your retirement calculator, because David has taken a dive into it several times and he loves it. And we've heard lots of positive feedback from other people that we could connect with. And so that's what we want to talk about today. So before we go into that, why do you think that retirement planning is so hard for people, especially for the LGBTQ community? It's a great question. I once heard someone talk about that the human brain is sort of evolutionarily programmed to not think too far into the future. Like, what do we need to think 30 years into the future for when we need food on the table now, or we need to survive and find shelter? And I think for a lot of people, it's pretty clear that that is true. Like, they, it is really hard for humans to just think ahead and plan. And part of the reason I think for retirement is like, you don't know what's going to happen in 20, 30 years with your your life, your career, your money. And so sometimes it can feel a little bit hopeless to try and, and do that. But I think it's I think it's important to stay on top of it. I think even if you make a plan and you're trying to see what would happen in the decades to come and it changes, all you have to do is check in on that plan every so often throughout your career, throughout your life, and make sure that you have some sort of security on the horizon. 
Yeah, a very wise woman has in a song right now that's playing over and over again on my iPod is not planning is planning to fail. And that's what retirement's all about is planning. And you might have to tack here and there as you go, but not planning at all is is pretty much planning for failure. Absolutely. And I remember not too long ago, someone was talking about a survey of what most Americans might think they need for retirement. And I kind of thought like, that's a silly survey question. Most people don't even know how to think about that far in the future or calculate such a number. Like people are just going to make stuff up. Exactly. (laughs) It, It is interesting. I think probably one of the best things that has happened to retirement planning is the fact that now it is required that all employers if you have a retirement employer sponsored retirement plan are now required to auto enroll all of their new employees and then if the employee wants to opt out they can and i think what this really does is it does for a lot of young people when you're i mean i'll admit when i was 22 years old i could care less about retirement right i mean that was 40, 50, 60 years away, and or at least it felt like it. And so I just wasn't even thinking about it. And I'm sure a lot of young people are not either. And so having some sort of automatic trigger that says, you're going to start saving for retirement, just don't even think about it except for set and a reminder, folks, just because you're auto-enrolled, you still have to go and invest that money. It just it goes into cash if you don't invest it. But I think that's a, a great thing because most of us won't start to really think about true planning for retirement until we are at an an age where we can think about the consequences of what's going on in our lives. Will we have a family? Where will we be living? All those kinds of things. That's too far off for somebody in their early 20s. Yeah. And inertia is a hell of a drug. You know, I think, (laughs) I think making people auto enroll is, is great because then people are actually doing something without having to change sort of how they're how they're investing or saving. Yeah, I do remember with the first real job that I had that actually had a retirement plan. A bunch of us started at about the same time and it was about a year after that we all had looked into our retirement plans and we're like, wow, we didn't know we could save so much money so fast because we had never saved so much money so so fast in our entire lives before. But the fact that we had this retirement plan where geez, suddenly we feel rich with just a couple thousand dollars. <laughs> what could have been in 20, 30 years? <laughs> Oh, no, I was going to say, tacking on to what you said before, it's a real shame that younger people don't think about it very much because as I'm sure you've heard, and I know you've yourselves over the years, it's like compound interest is, you know, the eighth wonder of the world. Showing people graphs that are like, hey, if you put $100 a month into an account, like starting when you're 20, this is what happens. I mean, it's an incredible thing. Yeah. I think one of the challenges, especially for the community though, too, is it sort of feels like there's this one size fits all definition of what retirement looks like. And I think there are a lot of us who can't really identify with that, you know, sort of like Henry Ford's theory that you can have whatever color car you want, as long as you want black, but not not all of us want to have like live, you know, walking down the beach with our golden retriever, right? We're not all cis white, couples who can identify that with that or want to live in that sort of retirement. But, and I think only now in the last couple of years, are we starting to realize that, oh, not everybody wants that. People, there are all sorts of things that people want. And we need to start talking about the other kinds of retirements that people can have, not just this very myopic picture. Yeah. I've been following sort of the like early retirement crowd for a long time. And 
I agree with your assessment that recently online, I think people call it the retirement police, right? Like if you're not quitting your job, doing no work whatsoever, and you know, living in a on a beach somewhere, then that's not really retirement. But things have changed. People are taking on smaller jobs. They're sort of downsizing the stress of their career and like sort of coasting for longer periods. Yeah, I think the change in the discourse around what retirement is is like a very good thing in the last few years. Yeah, absolutely. And it's kind of nice that it has changed, right? Because when you think back to early 20th century, there wasn't retirement. You were either wealthy and you kind of lived a retirement retired lifestyle, or you were an industrial worker or, or, or a cottage worker, and you worked and pretty much till the day you died, or until your family could take over taking care of you. And it's nice now that the conversation has switched to, let's design what we want our lives to look like in the future, instead of just saying, okay, we're done. We're done working and now I'm going to relax. And it's, we now we design what we want our lives to look like because we all we know we're living longer, but we're not wanting to work longer. So that means we still want our brains and bodies to be active doing the things that we we want to and enjoy doing. And that means planning for retirement. Yeah. What, Absolutely. Why do you think it's important for people, especially trans folks, to be authentic? to themselves, especially when it comes to financial planning and retirement planning? Oh, this is a, a great intersection of questions. I'm going to start by giving you a quote from this book that I recently finished. I, I read the book Detransition Baby by Tori Peters, which is flowing through the, the social media ether these days. But it's about a few different trans people and these two different trans women are meeting each other for the first time. And this is sort of an in-joke, but it was more like one of the women said to the other, so which transsexual job do you have? Are you a sex worker, an esthetician, or a computer programmer? And <laughs> that really hit me. That really hit me. I'm, I'm a computer programmer, <laughs> you know, stereotype affirmed. But I remember when I was growing up, and I was learning about like what a trans person was. And I was finding information on the internet or in newspapers or movies or whatever. To me as a kid, it seemed like that was kind of true that most trans people were sort of forced out of their homes and weren't able to find like normal work and had to resort to sex work. And I know a few trans people today that still do sex work as either part-time or full-time, and there's nothing wrong with that. I, I'm not shaming any people like that, but 12-year-old me thought that that was you know, not going to happen. So I think being authentic to yourself now when things are changing is super important for visibility and for the movement, frankly. Like I said before, I think people have a hard time sort of looking far into the future. And I know a lot of trans people, a lot of queer people in general will give you the same story. They're like, you know, I wasn't sure if I was going to live past 30 or 25. And I think planning financially for the future is like a direct, you know, middle finger to that, you know, thought. And that's why I think it's really super important. I love that. It is interesting that, you know, folks, we've talked about this in 
the data that came out of the Motley Fool Debt Free Guys LGBTQ Plus Money Study, we did see that in several areas, trans folks seem to be more prepared with their finances. And it's interesting, you're, you know, what you're basically saying is that there are things that are going on in our lives that sometimes cause us to do that or think about that if we want to be authentic and we want to resist a little bit, right? We don't want to be feel like we have to be pressured into a few boxes that the world is, is saying that we have to fit into, but we can be our true selves. Absolutely. I, I definitely think that the concept of early retirement in particular is really a counterculture thing. And I don't think it's too far of a stretch to think, you know, someone who is trans is going to like step outside the box in different areas in society. And yeah, I definitely agree with that. And, you know, one of the things that's interesting that you mentioned about the the survey is I wonder how much of that is the cultural change in when trans people are coming out like right now. I think in the last 20 years, there's a lot more later in life trans folks coming out and they may have already been somewhat established. I I think about this a lot because I up until my 30s was, you know, folks saw me and my family as, you know, a cis het white suburban couple and I benefited from that privilege and that life path and you know, maybe I'm part of that statistic that seems like they have their stuff together when I don't think a lot of folks did that, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago, you know, trans folks were trying to be themselves a lot earlier. And I know people have that opportunity now, and I'm you know immensely grateful for that. I'm, I'm so happy to see younger folks being themselves and being out and proud. And it's great. But I do wonder how much of that statistic is like this surge of later transitioners. It's an interesting thought. I'm glad you, you also point that out. We we did talk about that when we shared some of the survey data in a previous episode, but that does speak to this whole idea of us understanding who we are, what we want our lives to look like and being authentic to ourselves. Because if we aren't doing that, then our financial planning is probably not going to be right, is it? Right? If we are, if we're planning for our lives to look like one thing, but we truly, on the inside, we're are something else. And I'm not talking about gender or sexual orientation there. I'm just talking about the way we truly want to live our lives. It may include those, but if we're not planning for the life that we truly want, we are eventually going to end up spending for the life we truly want, right? Yeah, I agree with that, and I bet there's a lot of sort of discontent. I know there is a lot of folks who get to retirement and then actually experience what they've been planning for and realize like, oh, cutting work off and like all of a sudden going to this lifestyle that I pictured is not actually what I want. And like, you know, when you're at that point, it's, I bet it's harder to pivot. Yeah. It's funny you say that because one of my favorite gifts to share on Twitter or X or whatever the heck it's called these days (laughs) is a, a gay man who's standing on the street and he says, file that under oopsie. And I think that that's really what you're talking about is a lot of people end up, oh, they get to that life and they're like, oopsie, this is not what I wanted. So that that then points to this idea that we need to do some sort of planning. How does your calculator fit into that? Let's talk about your calculator. 
Capital One strives to inspire a better financial path for everyone, including the LGBTQ community, through access to credit, tools to manage debt, and product features. Digital products such as CreditWise and Eno are designed to take the stress out of money by helping you manage credit, a key source of potential stress, and stay on top of spending without worrying all the time. Sign up for CreditWise for free today. Oh, yeah, yeah. So my calculator, his name is Seafire Sim, kind of an awful name. I made it more than 10 years ago. So bear with me, not a great marketer, <laughs> but it stands for crowdsourced financial independent retire early simulator. And that first little bit, the crowdsourced bit, I started this calculator a little more than 10 years ago. And I started it because there was only really one other like viable calculator online that sort of helped people try to figure out how to retire early or retire at all. And I learned that that calculator was sold to a company and sort of just sitting there. Like there's no one maintaining it or developing it. And there were people in the community that were like just clamoring for new features. Like, why can't I do this in the calculator? Why can't I do that? And so I saw it as a opportunity to learn actually. Like I was just learning programming and I was like, hey, I'm just going to reverse engineer this thing and make my own and add some things. So that's sort of how it came about. So I, I have a, like a handful of features in here that were not in the sort of early days calculators that I really think are important. And really that is all based around sort of adjustments. So a lot of calculators you have these days, or if you go on to your you know 401k at Schwab or something, and you go to their little calculator page, one, my biggest pet peeve about calculators that are talking about retirement is they forced they force your hand on what the age is. Usually you can't lower it below 60. Now you're pretty lucky and in a small percentage if you can retire before 60, but the fact that it won't even let you move that always really bugged me. So those sort of standard calculators just let you put in an amount of money and or actually usually they give they ask you what your salary is and then they assume from that salary what you spend in a year and that's that's another huge no-no like i think if you're making $60,000 a year you know take home you may be spending only 50,000 a year but they're going to make some assumptions in these calculators so all these assumptions add up to sort of a fuzzy picture in my opinion did you say fuzzy so, <laughs> it could be fugly. Okay. Yes. I, I, I said fuzzy, but okay. fugly works gotcha. too. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think that like any of these retirement tools, mine and others included, by the way, like I suggest people use more than one tool. They have slightly different features, slightly different things. You want to make sure that your plan is safe. So use different, use multiple tools, but the great thing about these the kind of things is you can put in a bunch of your inputs, save it for later and check on it yearly. Like, hey, is this still panning out? This is how much money I have. And it doesn't have to be anything complicated like linking your accounts to this site or whatever. You're just putting in numbers works fine. But I think personally, calculators like mine and some of the others that are more modern in the last few years do a great job at figuring out flexibility and sort of testing the waters of what different retirements might look like. I often personally put in numbers like, hey, what would happen if 
I went part-time for the last five years of my career? Or what would happen if, you know, I cut it off at a certain date? Like there's all these different sort of scenarios that I like to sort of simulate. Yeah. I think that's one of the things that I like about your calculator is that there are a number of variables that you can play with. And then this whole idea that you can run the simulation, look at it, then make some adjustments, run the simulation, look at it. And then you've got three or more simulations that you can start to compare against each other to see which one of these feels right, which one of these is the one that I want, or which one of these is the one I want to work towards. Yeah, I definitely think that the iteration process is important. And I think it's great for learning too. Like, if you ever go on my calculator, there's different areas for like what kind of portfolio you have or how much you're spending or when you retire, tweaking those numbers being like, hey, maybe maybe I need less stocks and more bonds in my portfolio to help survive certain situations. Playing with those numbers gives you a better understanding of like what that does in the long term. Because like I said, it's real hard for us to think in the future 30 years and seeing sort of this big graph on a page will help you out a little bit. Yeah. Why don't we, since we have the privilege of being able to share screens these days, why don't we take a look at your calculator, run a simulation or two and give people an idea of how this works and how they might be able to benefit from it? Absolutely. Through the magic of technology, and for here's, those, my, here's my screen. <laughs> and for those of you who are listening to this podcast episode, we would encourage you to go to this YouTube video and check out the scenarios that we're going to be plugging in here that you're going to hear us talking about so you can see them. And we will add a link to this particular video in the podcast player when this, this episode is produced. Well, so Lauren, right. you have the stage. Yeah, I do. <laughs> so I like to tell people right off the bat that this particular tool is a giant form and it can be intimidating. Don't be intimidated. I'm not going to go through the ins and outs of everything here, but I will give you sort of an idea of the things you need to think about when you're putting numbers in. And spoiler alert for later, I'm actually working on a huge overhaul of the site with a, fr with a friend of mine and hoping to release that by the end of the year, which will do a lot more different things and probably be easier to use. Nice. So... We talked earlier about a fictional person and what their retirement might might look like. So if we have a fictional person that is retiring in 2030, which is seven years from the recording of this podcast, and we're let's say that they're hitting 62 at that particular year, we're going to try to model out 25 more years, you know, in terms of mortality tables and things like that. That's That's a pretty conservative number, living to a pretty old age for averages. And let's say that this person has a portfolio value right now that's about 250000 That's a pretty good number for most retirees these days, having something like that saved. We're going to assume $40,000 a year in spending. Clearly, you can sort of walk through and change this or decide that, hey, maybe for the first few years, I'm going to spend 40000 but then two years in a row, I'm going to go crazy and do lots of traveling. We can, you can work on changing that. And then important for viewers to know is that this number is sort of an inflation adjusted number. So that means that 
throughout the years, clearly inflation affects the, the goods and services we buy, the costs of those things. This is going to ensure that this number gets raised by the amount of inflation that happens each year so that your overall buying power stays the same. And I'm going to sort of skip over the portfolio section here. This is just saying that you have 75% of the stuff you have is in stocks and 25 is in bonds. Again, this is something you can play with to understand like the implications of changing things like that. I mean, for me, I'm more like, 90-10, but you know, who knows? Actually, I'll just leave it 90-10. Let's let's go with my my portfolio. <laughs> okay. And then this is one of the most important parts. These are the different adjustments that you make to your your scenario. So we don't, as workers, have just one sort of source of income necessarily coming in or one flat thing. Life is complicated. Life isn't going to be encompassed by just this $40,000 spending. So we're going to talk about adjustments. Here is one of the more common adjustments that we're going to see in folks in the United States is social security. So this hypothetical person is going to get $1,500 a month in social security. It's starting when they retire in 2030. You can also play with this for folks who know you can get more per month if you delay your social security till 67 or 70. Again, this is the kind of thing you should play around with and see how it affects things. And then below, this is a list of sort of other adjustments. You can add as many as you want here. But right now I'm adding sort of this concept of contributions toward your retirement. So for here, I'm saying that this hypothetical person is going to contribute $6,000 a year to their retirement, which is about $500 a month or is exactly $500 a month, not about. <laughs> and that's going to be added each year. And then it's going to stop here right when they retire. So all that big word salad is going to end here with hitting this run simulation button. So we hit this run simulation button and it's going to shoot out this lovely rainbow chart. I could spend a lot of time explaining what this rainbow chart is, but basically it's showing all the different historical data. So we, if I go back here, we're simulating a 25 year span of time. If we come back here, each one of these lines represents a 25 year span of data. So this very first one starts in 1871. Wow. So this, <laughs> this line is what would have happened if this hypothetical person retired in 1871 and had their money in the stock market and spent their money and went on. And then they, I suppose, would have ended their retirement or passed in 1896. Then the line next to it, if I can get the right one, there you go. This is when, this is the hypothetical of what would have happened if they started their retirement in 1872 wow. and then did 25 years. So this is every 25 year period. Now you can see that there is vast differences of what happens when you retire in certain points of the economic cycle. I mean, this person who started off with $250,000 at one point here, it looks like they die with $2.3 million. I did it wrong. <laughs> Just a dive zero. <laughs> I, I know. I know. And, and, you know, this is, this kind of illustrates, and I, again, I like to sort of play with these numbers. This illustrates that spending 
a flat amount of money is just doesn't like fit real life, right? Like if you have some sort of investment, it doesn't take an investment expert to realize like, hey, if you've seen your portfolio take off, you might go on an extra vacation or two, you know, like right. you, you're going to spend differently. But it also shows here that like during some bad situations here, like looks like it was real bad to retire in the 1930s. Probably mm, was, probably had to do with the depression. depression huh? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but back to where we're going with this hypothetical person, the number one thing to look at is the success rate through all these like possible historical things. 76% of the time, this person did not run out of money before they died. And I think that's a pretty good percentage, but depending on your risk tolerance, you might want that to be 100%. 76% of the time, they did not have enough money to retire? They did have, they had enough money that they wouldn't run out oh, they before run they out. passed. Okay. Got you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what do you think is a, and maybe you don't want to take on this kind of risk. What is a, a good success ratio to strive for, do you think, for most people? So, yeah, I'm not a financial planner, disclaimer, but I will tell you that a lot of, there's there's a lot of sort of academic work on that particular thing. And there's one financial planner out there, Michael Kitsis, that has a pretty robust article out there that says for any given year, if you're projecting the future, if you have a 50% success rate, going forward, then you're probably in great shape. And so like for this particular person, again, this is year 2023. Right now it says 76%. Next year is going to look very different. But if it's still above 50%, then maybe it's good. However, I'm a kind of paranoid person. I like to model living to 100 and 100% success rate. But there's a lot of cons to that. I mean, there's that means you have to save longer. That means you have to work longer. You know, I think you have to balance planning for the future versus you only live once. So yeah. Okay, cool. Thank you. So before we end this part, I guess I'll just go back and sort of show how to tweak things. So we have this sort of setup that it's 76% success. And on average, at retirement, this person has $460,000. So let's go back and think like, oh, maybe maybe I don't like that. And maybe I'm going to hunker down for the next seven years and save more. Maybe I'm going to save 50% more. So what would happen if I'm contributing 9000 a year? What would happen to the rest of my retirement? So I'm going to just rerun a new simulation. So all of a sudden, we've got a few more percentage points of success, and we definitely have more money at retirement. And it depends on sort of your personality as to whether that's comforting or or not. But that's sort of one of the ways to tweak things. And I also like to tweak things. And just just for just for the audience here, I mentioned that I like to talk about part time work a lot. So if this person had a very part-time job and they were in a given year, let's say making $5,000 over the entire entire year. And this starts during retirement. Who knows what they're doing? Maybe they're driving golf carts on the golf course for people or who knows. John you would be swim, for... selling swimsuits on the beach in Ibiza. Yes. <laughs> There's yes. a guy who sells be- swimsuits on the gay beach in Ibiza, and that's his job, selling them to beautiful-looking Spanish men. 
And I thought, yes. what else would I want to do in my life? <laughs> He's got my that, dream life. <laughs> that seems like a win. Yeah, exactly. Design your life, John. <laughs> so this person, part-time job for just a couple of years. Maybe it's just something fun. Let's see what, how this affects things. So I think that that's a fairly significant jump, right? Like yeah. it's almost a 6%, 6% increase in success. Oddly enough, this hasn't changed a whole lot. But if you start talking about like spending different amounts of money, those little part-time jobs sort of add up. You could even start talking if you go back here, like, hey, maybe this person wants to retire a couple of years early. So you change it to 2028. 20, now we're going to come down here and make their part-time job start in 2028. 20, and their normal contributions end in 2028. 20, it's like, what would that look like? And it's like, we're a little lower than when we started at, but it's still within the realm of possibility. So it makes people think. So on the first tab where you put in all of the variables, you did it kind of fast, but so you you click that add adjustment line and then you can add other factors such as part-time work if you have a small business or even real estate investments? Yeah, apologies for that. Yeah, adding adjustment here pops up a new little screen and what you can do is you can give it a little label. It can be a spending or an income, whether it takes away from your portfolio or adds to it. And I try to make this as flexible as possible for people. And one of the things that I do get asked a lot is like, how do I sort of represent income properties or rental properties? And that is a little bit tricky. I would say like, yes, you can come in here and be like, hey, I bought a rental property and throughout the year, it's giving me $10,000 profit that's going into my pocket for rent. How you would simulate that, in my opinion, is also you'd need to talk about when are you going to sell it, right? Maybe sell rental property. So this particular one is sort of a one-time thing. So it's not recurring and you're going to give it a specific year. So maybe this person is like, hey, when I retire, I don't want to deal with this very long. So maybe within two years, <laughs> within within two years, I'm going to sell this rental property and it's going to net me $150,000, you know? Like this is sort of how you would map that out. It's like, in my opinion, you, you're sort of add your rental income here, which I guess in this case would end right before you sell it. And then you'd have some sort of sale. Some people don't necessarily sell their rental income or properties, but I'm just giving you sort of options. Yeah. So, and how many of those variables can you add if, if you need? I believe the limit's up, up to 20. In theory, you could just add as many as you want. And the upcoming new version, I'm definitely not putting a limit on those things. And I'm sort of going to give a little bit of more, more structure around typical adjustments, like like this situation, because it's very, very typical that like, hey, you have this rental property and it's going to generate income for some period of time. And then the mortgage is going to be paid off and then things are going to change and things like that. Right. That is, uh, I love that. Yeah, exactly. And folks, one of the, I know that some of you are teachers who live in states where you're not able to access social security because of the way that your state pays or does not pay in. I did see here that you do have an adjustment type as pension. So it would be important for you to look at that, make sure what's your scenario with your state and your whether you have a pension or you will get social security and plug those kinds of things in as well. Absolutely. Definitely want to put in all the different kinds of income that you're going to have because those things matter. And I think 
I think a common thing with younger folks today is they're wondering like, hey, is social security going to be there for me? And they just don't even take it into account. And I think that like, that is a mistake. I think maybe I'm a little optimistic about the government, although like a lot of the times I'm not, but I think that if social security truly didn't exist when me as a 42 year old person, like is in their sixties, there's some really bad things happening to the country. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and we did just have a guest on forgetting his name. His name is Mike and I can't remember his last name yeah. right now. And he did share with us that the point we're at right now is even if adjustments are not made, we will still be funding at about 77%. So those kinds of adjustments are built into your calculation on the ssa.gov forward slash my account information. So if you want to know what you should be plugging, what numbers you should be plugging into this calculator, go to ssa.gov forward slash my account. If you don't have an account, it's really easy to sign up for one. It's free. And that's where you get the information of how much you are projected to receive when you retire. Yeah. My SSA is a great site. I use that. And I often tell people who use my site for the first time when they're talking to me about it. I was like, Hey, go check this out. And a lot of them are actually kind of surprised. They're like, why would I go to the social security website? I'm only 40 or whatever. And it's like, well, it has your entire work history. Yes. Like you can go back to 1996 when you worked at that Abercrombie and Fitch and see how much money you made. How did you know? John, how did you know that John worked at Abercrombie and Fitch <laughs> no. in 1996? It wasn't 1996. I'm not that old, David. <laughs> It was 1999. It was 1999. Thank you for sharing this with us, Lauren. We really appreciate it. Again, folks, if you've listened to the podcast and you've listened this far, you can watch these simulations that Lauren has put in here on the YouTube video that we are linking to in your podcast player. Before we wrap this section up, though, I thought you said before we started looking at the calculator, you can people can save their simulations so, so they can go back to it later. Is that right? Yes. That is a great, great thing to tell audience folks. So let's see. I'm going to go back to one of these previous ones. So I originally made this so that you didn't have to log in. I didn't have to like save your personal information. It would all just be sort of random. So the way that the saving works is that every time you run a simulation, this new link pops up. This crazy link here. Now I, I will know that there's there has been some bugs with these. So hopefully, hopefully this works live here. But this link is essentially how it gets saved. So if you come and open a new tab, pop that in, it will spinny spinny like you would typed it all in. Oh, it's not gonna work. I knew it. Oh, oh it just there, did. We there we go. <laughs> so that's that's how the saving works. So personally, like I don't have my bookmark uh, menu up, but I have like a little folder that has named bookmarks. Like this is my conservative based scenario. This is my scenario for if I go part time at a certain time. This is my scenario for this. So I have sort of a list of a few of them saved, and I click back on them every once in a while. Awesome! awesome. That is so cool. Yeah. I, I, how many hours would you say you've invested in this? Oh boy, quite a bit. So for context, I made this about 10 years ago. Before that, I was in sort of the fire community, retire early community that all over the internet on Reddit, I was a 
I was a moderator on the financial independence subreddit for many years as it was growing. And I use this as a sort of learning experience for learning programming. And I've redone it several times. And so I've definitely put hundreds, if not thousands of hours in. Currently, I don't have a full-time job and me and a friend are redoing the site. It will look completely different in a couple of months and have a lot of different, more modern features. So it's definitely a major passion project of mine. And I love telling people about it in general. Nice. And And so anybody has access to this or is there, you're not keeping personal information. Is there a a paywall or anything, a, a, a membership program? Yeah. So right now, the way it exists As I think you guys know, they alluded at the beginning that they've been trying to get me on the podcast for a while. When I worked at The Fool, I wasn't really allowed to do a lot of financial related side projects. There's sort of a conflict of interest there built in that the SEC sort of doesn't take kindly to. So for a long time, I couldn't do anything that made this site profit for me. So for a long time, it's been free. Right now, it's totally free. I am through the upgrade, I'm trying to sort of add special features in there that will allow me to maybe charge a very small monthly fee, but for general users, it'll still be free. Again, thank you for sharing this with us. We appreciate this folks. Again, go watch the video, then go play with the calculator. and And before we do that, where can people, what's the best way to find the calculator? And then how can our audiences connect with you on the internet? Of course. So the calculator, again, Kind of an awful name, but it's C, the letter C, fire, S-I-M, cfiresim.com. The best place for you to reach me is actually that same name on Twitter. I go on cfiresim. I sort of use it as both a fire-related and a personal account. I've found that having too many many different Twitter accounts is just too much for me. You barely need one and two is too many. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So that's the best way to find me. And I I love to talk about this in general. So awesome. Let me know if you have anything. Absolutely. So folks, if you try the calculator out, you have any questions to connect with Lauren on Twitter. She's always super responsive to us. So if she doesn't respond to you, it's because you're a jerk. (laughs) (laughs) And and we will link to all of this in in the show notes for this episode. Again, you can get the show notes for the episode will be coming in your email that you'll get the week that this episode comes out. Well, thank you, Lauren. It was great to finally have you on the show. I look forward to having you back as well. Yeah, it's been great, guys. Thanks. Thank you. Make sure to check out more ways that Capital One can help you achieve financial well-being at CapitalOne.com. That's CapitalOne.com. Thank you, Lauren, for a great interview and sharing your wonderful calculator with us. Thank you, our listeners and viewers, for listening to another episode or watching it on YouTube. Don't forget to subscribe to the Queer Money newsletter in your podcast player or in the YouTube description below so that you can get this week's Queer Money takeaway, learn how to connect with Lauren and the calculator, and get your tip on how to reach financial independence faster. Then join us this Thursday when we share the most affordable LGBTQ plus friendly city to live in in Massachusetts. And next Tuesday, when we talked about National Savings Day. Thank you and have an amazing week. From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking queer money on the road. 
Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.